So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 18. We do have a leadership meeting this weekend, so Saturday 9 to 11 in the cafe. If you're serving or would like to start serving, we'd love to, to have you out. So please come on out on Saturday. Acts chapter 18. I'm going to pray once again. Father, as we open up our Bibles, we just pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And Lord, we know your word is powerful. And so would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand? Would you mend hearts? Would you encourage hearts? Would you infuse life? God, you're the God of the resurrection. So we need you and we're so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we travel through the book of Acts, the important thing to remember is it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And what we believe about Jesus Christ and what we know to be true is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The book of Acts is very fast-paced. It moves from one city to the next. So Acts 18 segues from Athens, from Mars Hill, where we saw Paul addressing the intellectuals. And then very quickly, he moves to Corinth. And as I was looking at this and studying this chapter, what really stood out to me is we see some things in Paul's life that I think translate in our lives today as how God wants to work and how he wants to use us in our lives. And I think some of them may surprise you as we get into the text. So verse 1 of chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Athens is the only city where we don't see a church being birthed. There were some that came to know Christ as our Savior. A church may have been birthed later on. That's very possible. We don't have all of the details in the book of Acts. But now he's traveling and he comes to Corinth. Of course, this is Greece that he's in. And we then transpose this, or we cross-reference would be the better word. And we look at Paul's demeanor as he came to the church of Corinth. And it's 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4. And this speaks a lot to me. I hope it speaks a lot to you because it tells us how Paul came to Corinth. I'll read it to you. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Is that how you pictured the Apostle Paul? He says, when I came to you in Corinth, I came in much weakness. So the first principle that we pull out is if we want to have impact and God to use our lives, is we need to come in weakness. We need to come in humility. So let's process what Paul said just a minute. He said, I didn't come in excellency of speech, but I came declaring the testimony of God. A lot of times we think to be used by God, we have to be a good order. We have to have the golden tongue. But that's not it at all. The power is not in our personality. The power is not in how well we can articulate, but it's declaring the testimony of God. That's what Sam did tonight in leading us in worship. He declared the testimony of God, and it was powerful, wasn't it? This is what blows me away about who Christ is, that he would leave his glory, come in this human, frail body in order to die for us. He expressed the, the testimony of God. It's the story of God. It's the suffering of Jesus Christ. I was reading last night uh, in a book. I just started it, and this pastor was... Uh, 
expressing his life as a child. And he had a really difficulty with his speech. He stuttered. His dad was a Marine, and so when he would try to speak, his dad would, would yell at him, would get in his face, and he would say, spit it out, spit it out. That just made matters worse. When he was nine, he still st- struggled with stuttering, and his dad decided it would be a good idea for him to play football. And it worked out well for the first couple weeks because he really didn't have to talk. He could hide behind the mask. It was all physical. But then, as you can imagine, some of the other boys started to pick on him. And what did they do every day after practice? They'd beat him up and throw him on the ground. And one particular day, these six guys beat him up, and then one guy began to urinate on Jack's face and said, well, maybe this will help you to speak normal. The suffering that he went through brought me to tears as I was reading that last night. And as horrific as that is, it's very minor to the suffering of Jesus Christ. And that's the testimony of God that God would give his son to become sin for us and to be punished by God. We're going to see that a church is birthed in Corinth, this very pagan city filled with idolatry, filled with intellectualism. It's very much like a city today in our culture throughout the world. And how could one man have such impact because he declared the testimony of God in weakness? And I don't like being weak. I hate being weak but it's a reality. I'm aware of my weakness more than any other time in my life. And when we come into that place of weakness, we can either give up or we can press in. And Paul chose to press in. For some reason, Paul was very aware of his own personal weakness. We picture him to be this great orator, but possibly he was a great writer that had difficulty speaking in person. He didn't have a powerful presence in person. We don't know, but it's not the issue. He came in the testimony of God. He came in weakness, and we can come in that same way. I bet you some of you tonight are in that same boat where you can relate to your weakness, and you're just saying, I'm not up for the task. This is an overwhelming task. You're in good company. With the weakness, rely upon the Lord and declare the testimony of God. It's good news. There's a lost and dying world that's longing to hear of Christ's love, how Christ suffered for them. Think about the abuse that people have gone through. Some in this room, who can heal that kind of abuse? Only Christ can. Think of the rejection that people go through. Think of the family turmoil that's happening. The addiction to drugs and alcohol and anger and crying out, could anybody love me? Absolutely. The testimony of God. And when Paul came, he came in the power of the Spirit and the testimony of God in weakness so that faith could be found in the wisdom of God, not in the power of men. Verse 2, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. If you're new to the book of Acts and the New Testament, you're getting introduced to a wonderful, godly couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And you might be asking the question, who's the dude here? Which one's the dude? They both got girls' names. Well, Aquila is the dude. Aquila's the man, Priscilla's the woman, and they're in relocation. They're in transition because Claudius had kicked out all of the Jews from Rome. That's pretty significant. The Jews historically have been under persecution. And so that then brought them into Paul's life. The turmoil, God is in control. His throne is not diminished. Maybe your life is in turmoil. 
you found yourself kind of kicked out, if you would. God's wanting to work in your life and bring someone into your life. And I like the beginning of verse 2. Speaking of Paul, it says, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila. This is the second thing about Paul. First is he came in weakness, but the second is, is he invested in others. He invested in others. He found Priscilla and Aquila. He saw these hungry hearts that were ready for discipleship. Jesus taught us to make disciples. And how do we do that? By investing in others and sharing with them what we know about Jesus Christ and encourage them to follow Christ. We're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making followers of Jesus. And this happens one-on-one through relationship. The best ministry is not done from a stage like this. This isn't the best form of ministry. The best form of ministry is a one-on-one relationship. Real life change has probably happened through someone investing in your life one-on-one. We probably have a pretty short list. But we can remember some people that took time to invest in us. And that's what Paul does. He takes the initiative. He doesn't wait for Aquila to build the relationship with Paul. He builds the relationship. He reaches out. He found them and he just begins to invest in them. And what we'll find by the time this chapter ends is Priscilla and Aquila become really effective for the kingdom. And Paul, this is what he was good at, is that he would train up leaders. He would invest in people. And before long, those leaders are going off and they're doing things that Paul could never do. And that's what Christ did as well, is Christ invested in 12 men. Except for Judas, the 11, they stuck, didn't they? They were the ones that went and started the early church. You can't be everywhere. You can't meet every need. You can't invest in everyone. It doesn't say that Paul made this kind of investment in the whole city. He saw something special in Priscilla and Aquila. Jesus saw something special in the disciples. You want to invest in someone that wants to receive the investment. Does that make sense? You can beat your head against the wall trying to invest in somebody that's not teachable, that doesn't want to learn, that doesn't want to open up their hearts. So the Lord will show you. Usually it's somebody right around where you're at. This is right around where where Paul is living, and we'll find what brought them together was their work in verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. You're saying, well, I thought by occupation Paul was a pastor, or by occupation Paul was a minister. And Paul will write that there is a a biblical case where a pastor, a missionary can receive financial support from whom they're serving, but Paul chose to work with his hands and build tents to provide for his financial needs so that he wasn't a burden to anyone. He didn't see one ministry when he was teaching the Bible and another ministry when he was building tents, he saw it all as kingdom work. And we have a tendency to kind of separate out our lives and go, well, if I'm serving God's people, that's ministry. Or if I'm full-time at a church, that's ministry. Or if I work at a nonprofit or I'm a missionary, that's ministry. But if I'm an accountant, I don't know if that's ministry. If I'm a stay-at-home mom, I don't know if that's ministry. If I'm a second-grade teacher, if I'm a roofer, you, you fill in the blank. I'm a doctor. Hey, guess what? It's ministry. And Paul's greatest ministry was found right while he was building tents with Priscilla and Aquila. They were bonded together by their trade. You will spend almost the most time with people at work, won't you? 
you really stop and, and think about it, you, know, you work at Starbucks, you're going to spend a lot of time with your fellow, fellow co-workers. And in the midst of doing that work and rubbing shoulders with each other, that is a great opportunity to encourage believers and also witness to unbelievers. I'm so thankful for the mission field that you have out in the community. You're out in places in the community that our pastoral staff will never be. And we're so thankful for that. God's given us a part to play as the pastoral staff, but he's given you a part to play as you're out ministering in the community through your workplace. In verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. This is tremendous courage from Paul as we've studied the book of Acts. Because where does trouble always start? In the synagogue. There's some Jews that get really mad at Paul once he starts preaching the gospel in the synagogue. My tendency, if I'm Paul, when I come to Corinth, is to go, this doesn't work out very well. I'm not going to the synagogue. I'm just going to leave that out. But not Paul. He's got courage from, from the Lord. In verse 5, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. This is the third thing. The first is that Paul came in weakness. The second is that he invested in others. If we do those two things, we're off to a good start. And then third, we find that he followed the Spirit. He was compelled. He was moved. He was motivated by the Spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. We read about it a lot in Scripture, the leading of the Spirit. What does that look like? What is it what does it feel like? Well, one, we know what it's not. The Spirit's not going to lead us to do anything that's unbiblical, that doesn't line up with the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people will articulate a decision that's quote-unquote the Spirit, and it doesn't line up with Scripture. And I'm like, well, that's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that may be some other Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. So that's our guide. But inside of the Scriptures and the person and work of, of Jesus Christ it's the Lord giving us that guidance that we need and being connected to the Holy Spirit. I've got a question for us tonight. Do you believe that the Spirit of God first is a member of the Trinity? That the Holy Spirit's God? I hope so. You know, it's not little h and little s. It's God. The Holy Spirit is God. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit's your comforter and your helper? And then most importantly, do you believe that the Holy Spirit wants to work just as much today as at any other point in history. God's looking to put his spirit upon his people. The question is, are we open and available? Are we willing to be compelled and moved by, by the spirit of God? You may be going through your day and all of a sudden the spirit says, I want you to go talk with this person. I want you to go listen to, to this person. I needed to take my car to the mechanic today and he was checking it out. And so I had my computer out, my, my Bible, and I was studying and I was in pastor mode right in the mechanic's office and I was going to get my Bible study done. And I felt like the Lord just put on my heart, ask him how he's doing. Ask him how his day's going. Small little office. So, I, hey, how's your, how's your day going? And he just begins to, to share all the things that he'd been through with the last 16 months, and we had a great conversation. Pray for me tomorrow, because I'm going back, and I got a book that I'm going to give him called No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. And I'm just praying that God would work in his life. I've known him for a number of years as we've used him to, to work on a, 
uh, our cars. But that's not something that was in my plan. I was busy preparing my Bible study. And see, that a lot of times it's not things that we would have thought of. It's not things that would have been in our plan. But it, it's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows you. He knows everyone around you. He knows what's going on in our families. And it's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Having the faith to trust, trust the Lord. It shows an availability to God. And Paul, he's compelled by, by the Spirit. In verse 6, But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. For now on I go to the Gentiles. Wait a second. I thought he was compelled by the Spirit. So when you're compelled by the Spirit, isn't that when everybody just receives Christ? If you go and talk to that person, when you're compelled to tell them that Jesus is the Messiah, do they always just respond and go, thank you so much for telling me. I'm so glad. No, sometimes you're dead on, right where the Spirit wants you to go. And guess what? There's opposition. And that's what Paul experiences here. They opposed him. They blasphemed him. Maybe that's where you're at tonight. You're saying, I thought I was in the right direction. I thought what I was doing in my family is what, what God wanted. I, I thought what I'm doing in the workplace, I'm trying to be a witness. I'm serving God, God's people. I didn't expect all this opposition. No, you're exactly where God wants you to be. And notice what Paul did. He shook his garments. Why did he do that? Remember Jesus said to shake the dust off of your feet if someone has rejected the message of Christ. This is Paul's way of saying, you're accountable. Your blood be upon your heads. I have shared with you. I'm blameless in this. I'm clean. Not that Paul's perfect, but he was the messenger that God wanted him to be. And then very importantly, he says, now I go to the Gentiles. Now I go to people that are willing to hear. And this is the fourth thing. If we want our life to be used by God, is you have to shake off rejection. You have to shake it off. Not everyone's going to respond to the gospel. Our job's to love them. Our job's to share with them. Our job's to be compelled by the Spirit. It shouldn't be mechanical. It shouldn't just be, I just go out. It should be, God, I want to follow the leading of your Spirit. But even with all of that, there's going to be people that get very angry at you and very upset at you because you're loving them in Jesus Christ. And it's important to shake off that rejection. Don't let it mess with you. Don't let it get in your space. I call it, it gets in your grill. You know what I mean by that? It's like the bug on your windshield and you just can't quite get over it. You try to move on and you try to move on. But so-and-so said they don't like me and they don't want me to be a part of their life anymore. And, oh, you know, I'm done. No, shake it off. You're fine. You're okay. You got a job to do. There's people that want to hear. There's people that God has prepared their hearts so what does Paul do in verse 7? And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Don't you love Paul? He's like, you guys don't want to hear it at the synagogue? Then I'm going right next door. And I'm going to set up a sign that says, Jesus is Messiah. Everybody who wants to hear about him, come in here. Great courage from Paul. But it was so close. He was so close to an open door. It's literally just one door over where a man is worshiping God that's willing to open up his home and say, come on in. And in the midst of opposition, look for reception. Look for that open door. Look for that person that's saying, come on in. You can do your ministry right outside of my house and in my house. In verse 8, this is incredible. Then Crispus, 
the ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his household. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the head hog of the trough, if you would. The honcho. He's the guy. He's the man. He's the ruler of the synagogue. And he gets saved. And his whole household gets saved. Does he have sons, daughters, obviously a wife? And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. There were those that were ready to respond to the gospel. I believe that there's those that are ready to respond to the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ as we share with them through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit as we reach out to them. In verse 9, this is so important. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Anytime that God gives a message like this to one of his servants, it's because they're fearing, feeling fearful. God doesn't waste words. So even though all of this amazing things are happening in Corinth, Paul is very aware of the opposition. He knows how this goes. Okay, this is where they drag me out and stone me. I remember what those stones felt like. I remember what the beatings feel like. I remember what the nasty words are like. I know this. And he begins to be consumed with fear. So God comes to him and he says, do not be afraid. And this is the last thing. This is the, the fourth thing that we see is we've got to receive encouragement. Receive encouragement. If we're going to do the things that God has called us to do, there are going to be seasons of discouragement. There's going to be valleys where we're filled with doubt, where we're filled with fear. And a lot of times we can think, man, is there something wrong with me? That, that I have fear? That I have doubt? That, that I have discouragement? No. All of the wonderful servants of God in Scripture had discouragement as well. Everyone goes through discouragement. I go through discouragement. Everyone goes through discouragement. And as we do, we need to receive it from the Lord. Receive encouragement from God. Let Him speak to you. And this is the wonderful thing, is encouragement can come from other sources. God can use His people to encourage us. But they're secondary sources. The primary source is going to be Jesus. Your spouse may encourage you. Your Christian friends may encourage you. But first and foremost, it can only be Jesus. And maybe you're looking to a great book, a good counselor, a good friend. Maybe you're feeling rejected because you haven't had any of those things in your life. It could be God's hand. God's not allowing you to have that counselor because you would look to the counselor. God's not allowing a believer to see your pain because you would look to that believer because Jesus wants to come to you. Jesus wants to encourage you, and he starts with our fear. What are you afraid of? If you were going to put your list together tonight, what are your fears? Put them out there. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. We all have it. It would be nice if it just perished after middle school, right? Middle school was miserable for me. I'd, every night I'd go to bed, and all these things would just come into my heart and mind, and I, I would lose sleep. And you think you'll grow out of it, but you don't always grow out of it, right? There's things that you're thinking about, things that you're fearful. And God says, I, I don't want you to be afraid. Don't be afraid. A lot of times the things that we're afraid of never come to pass anyway. This is what he is to do. But speak. Do not keep silent. Don't give up. Don't give up. 
What has God called you to do? What has he asked you to do? If you're thinking about handing in your resignation letter, he won't accept it anyway. <laughs> Don't give up. What's on the other side? What's over the mountain? What's, what's through the valley? Keep going. Keep speaking. Paul needed to hear this. Don't be afraid. Don't keep silent. Keep speaking. And here's the source of strength. For I am with you. I'm with you. Similar to what God said to Gideon on Sunday. I'm with you, mighty man of valor. Must be something that God wants us to hear. Amen? Amen. That he's with us. That he's the source of strength. No one's going to be able to attack you, for I have many people in this city. Do you think that some of these people could be yet future? People that God's going to reach in the next year and a half? I think so. Many had come to know the Lord, but there was many more that God had in this city, and Paul needed to remain and be fruitful, receive encouragement. This is several years back now for me. It's, it's probably, I don't know, at least four or five years and I was going through a pretty deep valley of, of discouragement. And I tried every single way that I could shake it. Every way that I knew how to shake it, I attempt to, to shake it. But it seemed like it just came back to me like a boomerang. You know, it was like, whoosh, bam, I caught the discouragement again. And people that knew me well could, could tell that I was walking through that valley during that season. I look back at pictures of myself, and I wasn't even myself, you know, during, during that about year period of time through that particular trial. And the, I'm not a big dreams and visions guy. Most of the dreams that, that I have uh, have to do with food and those kind of things. And, <laughs> and it was one particular morning that I was sleeping in. It was a day off, and I was told Amber, I was like, I just need to, to sleep in. And, and I was feeling kind of guilty for sleeping in because I wasn't getting up early to do my devotions and my, my prayer like I knew that I should and was, was supposed to. And, and I fell back asleep and, and I really felt like the Lord met me in my sleep, you know. And, and this is the kind of experience that, that Paul had. He had a, a vision in the night. And in this particular moment, I was in my garage. All great things happen in the garage, true? So I was in my garage and one of my good friends, uh, he, he came into the, to the garage, and he's, he's just been a friend uh, to me for a long, long time since I was in my early 20s, and we're in a men's uh, group together on, on Friday mornings. And with the nature of what I was going through and the trial and the, the, all the spare you, all the details, I just couldn't open up uh, with, with anyone. It wasn't things in my own life. It was leadership's challenges and struggles. It wasn't a, an appropriate place to, to be able to air those things out. I had pastor friends that I could, could air that out. So this particular friend, he didn't know the depths of, of what I was going through. And I, I remember like it was today. He, he, he looked at me and he says, Eric, we've been praying for you. And then he spoke. And out of his mouth, I heard the voice of Jesus. And you know when you hear the voice of Jesus... And it was Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. And I woke up from that dream and I felt refreshed and I felt rest and I felt the burden lifted that I'd been carrying over a year. And it was very clear to me that God had answered the prayer of my friends that didn't know the exact nature of everything that was going on, but the reason that it was my friend there in the, in the garage is because of prayers of friends that were rallying around me and I heard the voice of Jesus and God spoke. And that's what we need. 
We need to be able to receive that encouragement. And I don't know why God sometimes tarries. You know, why didn't God come to me that way in the first month of the trial? Wouldn't that have been great? I think it would have been great. But he waited. How long was Paul feeling this way? I don't know. He could have been feeling this way for a long time. He could have had a lot of sleepless nights. But this is initiated by Jesus. And Jesus comes and Jesus encourages. And I just pray in Jesus' name that you would experience Christ's encouragement. That he would come and infuse you where you need it. If you need it as a father, if you need it as a mother, if you're a college student and you're trying to figure things out, you know where you're at in the midst of life. Allow the Lord to speak to you. Cry out to him, Christ, I need you to speak. I need to be encouraged by you. But sometimes we get so stubborn in our own strength, we haven't yet come to a place where we're ready to receive encouragement. We've got to eliminate our resources first. We've got to do everything that we know in our own strength and we finally get to a place of saying, God, I've got nothing left. I need to be encouraged by you. And God comes and he encourages us. So I pray that in your life, that God would minister encouragement to you. In verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Could I get some MP3s? Could I get some downloads? Could they give this in podcasts? Wouldn't you love to hear Paul for 18 months as he's sharing with the church of Corinth? When Galeo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Here comes the opposition, but Paul had the word of the Lord. He had the encouragement of God, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Is that true? Was Paul encouraging them contrary to the law? No, Paul was teaching them the fulfillment of the law in Jesus Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. In verse 14, And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galeo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your law, looking looking to it yourselves, for I do not want to be judged of such matters. I don't want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He's saying, no way. If this has an issue to do with your law, then you guys deal with it. If he's done something really wrong, then bring it to me. You can tell he's upset. So what do the Greeks do in verse 17? Then all of the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galeo took no notice of these things. So Sosthenes is the ruler of the synagogue. He's got to be the replacement as the prior ruler of the synagogue has gotten saved. And he's bringing this case against Paul. When Galeo says, I don't want to have anything to do with it, then the Greeks have a backlash against Sosthenes, and they beat the sauce out of Sosthenes, don't they? It's irresistible. I just couldn't help myself. This is quite the turn of events. Sosthenes was planning for Paul to be beaten, possibly Paul to be put to death. But before the end of the story, he's the one who receives the beating. You may want to write down in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes an epistle to this church of Corinth. It says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. We don't know for sure, 
But this man who received the beating may have come to know Christ as his Savior. Verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Kenkara, for he had taken a vow. Heading back now to Antioch, where he was sent out. This is Paul's second missionary journey. He takes a vow. We don't know the complete details of this, but we do know that he gets a haircut. He cuts his hair. So most likely, this is Numbers chapter 6. This is a Nazarite vow that he took before God. What in the world's a Nazarite vow? In Numbers 6, someone could shave their hair, choose to not eat any fruit of the vine, nor any fermented drink, and it was a time for them to be separated unto the Lord. So Paul chooses to enter into this vow, a time to seek the Lord. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent. Here's a lesson for us as children of God, is we can't meet all the demands even of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus didn't always say yes when people asked him to do things. And here they want Paul to stay. They're like, Paul, we want you to teach us more here in Ephesus. But Paul says, no, he's led to do something else. We have to march in obedience to the Father, not to all of the needs around us. But took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep the coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Paul didn't lose his Jewishness when he came to know Christ as his Savior. And that's important. He still wanted to celebrate the feasts, the feasts that were given to the children of Israel. And this is so important. Paul's not fulfilling the feast to try to earn or deserve God's favor. It wasn't legalism. He wasn't going back under the law in that sense. But he was celebrating the feast out of appreciation for Christ and how Christ had fulfilled the feast. On New Year's Eve, we did a study, and we looked at how the feasts are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. It's a good study to go back to, to get onto the, to the to website. And Paul, he understood that Christ was the fulfillment of this, but he wasn't going back under the law to try to have righteousness and sanctification. Now, you wait, you, you'll watch, you'll see. You will meet somebody that will come alongside of you, and they'll say, if you were really serious about Christ, you would fulfill the feasts and you would eat kosher, and you would have a strict Sabbath day on Saturday. Oh, 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 Sunday's your day of rest. I can't believe you're, you do that. God gave us the law. We need to go under the law, and are you prepared and equipped to do that and to deal with that? They may even take you to this section of Scripture and go, well, look, Paul fulfilled the feast. Study Colossians, study Galatians, and you see that all of that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus, so you're free to celebrate the feast if you want to, but you're also free not to. Paul didn't say, everybody's got to go with me. All the Gentile churches have to celebrate the feast. Does that make sense? The feasts were a shadow of things to come, but the fulfillment is Christ. In verse 22, and when he landed at Caesarea and had gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. There's two Antiochs in the book of Acts. This is Antioch in Syria, where all the fighting is happening currently. This is the church that sent Paul out. So he's completed that second missionary journey. In verse 23, 
After he spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia, where we have the letter to the church of the Galatians, and Perga in order, strengthening all the disciples. What a great thing to do. Everywhere you go, strengthening believers, encouraging believers. And verse 24, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This chapter ends with Priscilla and Aquila investing in Apollos. A few things about Apollos. He's born in Alexandria, which is North Africa, which is interesting geography. He's an eloquent man. He was someone who spoke very eloquently. He was mighty in the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament, and he came up to Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And this is where Priscilla and Aquila come in. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John, being John the Baptist. So what was the message of John the Baptist? Repent, the Messiah is coming. Repent, the Messiah is coming. So somehow, Apollos had missed the most important thing, that Jesus Christ had come, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So notice what happens. We'll wrap up before we get flooded again. Verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Don't you like this? They're following the model of Paul. They're finding somebody that needs investment and they're doing it in love and gentleness and integrity. They don't go, well, wait a second, Apollos, and interrupt him as he's speaking publicly in the synagogue. They pull him aside. And they speak to him one-on-one. And they explain the way, Jesus Christ, more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And if you read First and Second Corinthians, you see how... Apollos was used by God, and Priscilla and Aquila were the backstory, multiplication. This is discipleship in action. Paul invests in Priscilla and Aquila, and then Priscilla and Aquila go and invest in someone else. And that's what we're to be doing as well, investing in one another, and then going out and investing and seeing the kingdom of God multiply. So with that, I think it's time. What do you guys think? Let's stand and let's pray together.